From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. Oh, 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 oh. All right, that's the only reference I'm going to make to Christmas 2020. I do have a Santa suit, and I have been known to play Santa on occasion. And I guess not surprisingly, I popped into a couple of Zoom family calls over the Christmas holidays. I also did a Toastmasters meeting before Christmas. I got a chance to use the suit a little bit. What a weird Christmas, huh? Weird, weird, weird. Well, I hope you had a chance to spend some time with the people in your bubble and hopefully only the people in your little bubble. And I sure hope by the time Christmas 2021 comes around, we've all had our inoculations for the vaccine for COVID-19 and we're in a different world. All right. That's the last of the references to what's just we've gone through. Let's talk about what's happening today in episode 61 of the Cannabis Podcast. Well, we have a feature interview for you this week, and that interview is with Jacqueline Pahota. Jacqueline is the executive director of the Association of Canadian Cannabis Retailers, known as Acres. We were introduced to them a number of um, weeks ago, I guess, with one of the episodes when Corey Waldron, the CEO of Mood Cannabis in Nanaimo, first introduced us to Acres, continuing to acknowledge what they're doing. And they're doing some fabulous work. And Jacqueline is going to be talking about the current state of cannabis in Canada and specifically in BC and some exciting news about what is coming up in 2022. Stay tuned for that because you are going to be excited about that as well. We'll be done with the pandemic by then, right? Now, Along with that feature interview, we're going to wrap it with a couple of other stories. How about a story that says our government thinks we're growing too much medical weed at home? And believe it or not, in some parts of BC, there is still no easy access to legal cannabis. All of that and more is coming your way on episode 61 of the Cannabis Podcast. Now, this is a weird story out of Reuters, and it's about growing cannabis at home. Apparently, Canadian health regulators think people are growing too much pot at home, or more specifically, too much medical marijuana. Canadian health regulators on Thursday raised concerns about the large quantity of medical marijuana people were growing at home, after its data showed a significant jump in daily average production permitted by healthcare practitioners. While the practitioners can allow registered patients to grow limited amounts at home for personal use, The regulator's findings show that such authorizations rose to a staggering 36.2 grams by the end of March, compared with 25.2 grams in October 2018. It's only an additional 11 grams, not a whole lot. (laughs) Meanwhile, average purchases by registered patients who can buy pot from licensed producers and federal medical sellers have stayed as low as 2 to 2.1 grams every month, data showed. That seems perhaps a bit unrealistic. An early review of the data signals to me a striking difference in the average amounts prescribed per day in the two different channels, said Deepak Anand, chief executive officer of Materia Ventures. With no concrete limits on personal production, Health Canada is facing rising pressure to tackle the perceived abuse of the home grow program. Health Canada is concerned that high daily authorized amounts are, in a few instances, leading to abuse of the Access to Cannabis for Medical Purposes framework and are undermining the integrity of the system, the regulator said. CBC News reported here in October that the Ontario Provincial Police raided dozens of illegal cannabis grow operations between July and October, a majority of which had personal production authorization. It remains unclear if we are dealing with systemic issues as opposed to targeted ones. As a result of the tremendous pressure the regulator has fallen under recently, 
by provincial and municipal governments, Anon said. Health Canada's findings shows 43,211 individuals were allowed to grow marijuana for their personal medical use by the end of September, and 377,000-plus were registered as patients. So there's an interesting perspective on the state of medical marijuana grows across our country and the fact that only a couple of grams a month are being purchased from licensed producers may indicate that there's an awful lot of medical marijuana being grown at home. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And now I'm really pleased to introduce our guest for our feature interview for today. Jacqueline Pajota is the Executive Director of Acres, the Association of Canadian Cannabis Retailers, and they are a nonprofit, member-driven industry association whose goal is to serve as a positive, proactive advocate to protect and expand business opportunities for the private cannabis retail industry. And I want to thank Corey Waldron, the CEO of Mood Cannabis in Nanaimo, for connecting myself with Jacqueline and getting the interview arranged. And in fact, we're going to pick up the interview just after I have introduced Jacqueline and asked her to explain to us what Acres is all about. Acres is actually uh, was actually founded out of uh, another association, which was the Canadian Association of Medical Dispensaries. Um, that organization was founded in 2010 um, as a response to um, you know the kind of increasing prevalence of storefront um, access for medical cannabis uh, prior to legalization. Um, so that organization worked really closely with um, City of Vancouver in their work um, in pre-legalization, creating land use um, surrounding medical dispensaries. And, um, you know, when Justin Trudeau made his announcement, uh, Prime Minister, he uh, he dropped that on us like a bolt of lightning. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I don't think anybody quite saw that. It's true. It was pretty surprising, wasn't it? It really was. It was like, oh my goodness. You know, my personal, you know, history with cannabis, I was actually working um, to have cannabis decriminalized provincially. And everybody always said, you know, that's ridiculous. It'll never happen. You're a crazy lady. <laughs> and then suddenly it's like legalization and whoa. Um, so anyway, when that happened, a group of retailers said, you know, this is a, a something that they wanted to participate in. So they're going to move away from, uh, you know, medical access towards recreational, um, you know, private retail. And so they founded Acre. Um, so we are a registered nonprofit uh, in the province of BC. Uh, we are governed by a board of seven volunteers, and um, I've been working with the organization since January 2020. So just we're just coming up on a year now. Uh, excellent. And what's your been been your biggest accomplishment to date? Well, I think our biggest accomplishment today is definitely getting um, our regulators to commit to direct supply um, in 2022. So um, currently, our retailers are obviously forced to buy strictly and solely from a centralized distributor. Um, That's the... cannabis and, and uh, liquor distribution branch here in BC. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we said was, you know, we said, okay, uh, centralized distribution has some benefits. Um, and we, you know, we recognize that those benefits are, you know, something that perhaps uh, small and independent um, cannabis retailers want to continue to take advantage of. But the other, the problem with the centralized uh, distribution model is that it makes it very difficult to own your own identity as a retailer. So, you know, when other people are making decisions about purchasing kind of on your behalf, you lose that, that, that like, you know, ability to, to really stand out based on your personal relationships or what have you. So what we posited to um, our 
our regulators was, what if we had a hybrid system? So what if, uh, in order to foster the sector in British Columbia as a, in a holistic kind of way, we said that producers who are, you know, under a specific or and or indigenous owned and located in BC, what if our private retailers could create supply relationships directly with those kinds of businesses. Mm -hmm. And the province said, that sounds like a great idea. Let's implement that in 2022. Well, that is a a huge piece of news. Excellent. Good, good work on that, Jacqueline. Oh, it was, it was a very exciting announcement. I mean, it's, you know, we come from, you know, a lot of folks in who have licenses now, do, did transition from the unregulated market. Uh, you know, there's people who never never functioned in that market, but uh, there we do have a, a significant number of uh, folks who transitioned. And the thing that made that unregulated market so vibrant was those individual relationships. It was you know, really kind of integral to the, the culture. And um, I think that it will be nice to reintroduce that element back into you know the consumer's experience in a regulated way. Absolutely. So so does that mean that in 2022 the the craft growers are going to be able to sell directly to the retail? Is that that the idea? That is the idea. That's exactly it. Oh, oh so, that is fabulous. It's, it, we are so excited. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, this is something. <laughs> it's something that uh, you know when we heard they they did a press release prior to um, the, them dropping the writ uh, from this last election, um, and it was a bolt from heaven kind of. And I got a phone call from the gentleman who was driving the policy, and he said, "Jacqueline, we're so excited to work with you on this." And so we're really looking forward to making sure that the policy looks like what everybody wants it to. So it's, it benefits you know small growers and independent retailers. Well, and absolutely, and and it, and it gets to the heart of the heritage of this province, for God's sakes, with B, with BC Bud. Hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, oh, that is fabulous news. Thank thank you for sharing that, Jacqueline. So, what other key initiatives are is Acres kind of looking at as you head into 2021. What are the things that you want to uh, work on next? Oh my goodness! Um, how much time do you have? We've got. Um, there's a, there's a bit of a list. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things I think that are. It's kind of obvious that are really. Um, you know, holding the economic potential of the sector back. Um, one of those is the marketing regulations. Um, you know, it is uh, a very trying uh, thing. It is a situation that I'm not, I don't think that there are many other industries that cope with this, but you're not being able to express to the public, you know, what your stock looks like or how much it costs. Um, you know, that's, that's, that makes being a retailer very challenging. Um, and it also makes it really difficult to, for us to convert consumers into the regulated system. You know, that is a, that is a, a challenge that we've been facing in BC. Um, you know, we, we were lagging a little bit in terms of the conversion of the consumer and there's a lot of very good reasons for that. Um, but one, but one of them is, you know, you can't tell anybody what's going on in the regulated markets, um, and that you know that means that it's it's tough, right? Like, I mean, yeah. um, every everybody else gets to advertise, and um, uh, you know, at Acres, we we feel like this is a, a legal substance; it's adult use. But we think that you know there are responsible ways that we can tell the public about the product that we sell, um, and that you know those those regulations, um, you know, they need to loosen. And we, I totally understand that you know there was this impulse. To overregulate because this was this is very new. Canada was the first country in the world to undertake this marvelous project. But you know, we we've seen that it, you know there's not the, the we were two years in. The repercussions of legalization have not been 
have not you know there's no 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 fires on street corners or exactly. or, or any of those things exactly uh, none of that happened which which was you know prophetic in terms of what they said we were going to face well, I mean, even there was a doctor, a very prominent doctor, I believe he was the head of the College of Surgeons, who was a like just virulent, very outspoken adversary of legalization. He was positing that there was going to be all sorts of, like I said, fires on the streets and all this nonsense was going to go down. And then he, he actually recently published an opinion piece retracting that statement. And I think it was in November that he put it out there and said, you know, I was wrong. The sky didn't fall. You know, see, everything seems to be going fine um and you know if if that gentleman you know if that he that you know opponent can can kind of come around on this i think it would be kind of nice for us to start looking at cannabis as as an economic opportunity as opposed to a problem that we have yeah, to deal with. absolutely and and well i mean good on him for having the character to to reverse himself to admit that i wish just more people would do that and and it would be a lot easier for us to get a whole lot of this stuff done that is the truth. I mean, the stigma that the industry carries is real. Like it still remains. There's, um, I call it like the giggle factor. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, this is a massive economic block of activity that, you know, we could be capturing, that we are developing. It, it isn't funny, you know, like, um, uh, it is, it's serious. It's a serious, um, opportunity. Uh, it's, it's especially a serious opportunity for British Columbians. Um, you know, this is our market to own, right? And, and what we need is the tool to do that and i think that that is you know that's another focus that we're we have is you know trying to encourage the regulators to see uh the opportunity and to give us the room that we need as a sector to really realize the potential yeah they, they you know to admit we sell cannabis <laughs> and to be able to promote that <laughs> yeah and it's you know like i said it's an adult use substance and we're you know i mean I you know I love a drink as much as the next girl, but there are a lot of you know social ills that come along with alcohol consumption that we haven't seen the same things materialize around mm -hmm. cannabis. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, in in a legal kind of framework, so I think it's important to to consider those things. You yeah, know, I agree. As we learn, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, Jacqueline. With the regulations that are that are happening right now in BC, what what's currently uh, are there any changes forthcoming other than the one you talked about in twenty twenty two? Before we get there. Um, I think we're going to see uh, some significant investment on the part of the province in the development of the sector, uh, which is great. Um, I think that that's something that we are really, you know, kind of been sorely lacking is, um, you know, the fostering of the sector the way that it, it, it could have potentially been kind of more um I don't know, you know, more more funding options maybe from from the province, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of challenges surrounding accessing capital for small cultivators uh, that I hope to see uh, addressed in in the coming year. Um, and then stuff that we're you know we're pushing for. I think that there is going to be not provincially, uh, but maybe some changes at the federal level um, that are going to have a significant impact. Not so much on um, my retail, the retailers, um, the private retailers, but rather uh, more on the production side. Um, you know, the Health Canada recently announced that they're um, undertaking uh, quite a, an accelerated review of several sets of regulations uh, of the Cannabis Act surrounding microcultivation and nursery licensing, et cetera. Um, so that is that is a heartening thing for us because I think that there are a lot of regulations that, um, you know, are kind of preventing uh, BC from realizing its full potential. Yeah, and uh, has there been any noise from Health Canada about uh, reviewing the dosage for edibles uh, and revising that at any time in the future? 
I mean, they are going to be opening the act uh, for review in 2021, uh, I believe towards the end. Uh, so they're going to be re-examining because there's a report that is due uh, to Parliament after three years on the State of the Cannabis Act. Uh, I hope that they will open that up because, I mean, I'm, I can't say that I'm, I'm confident, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean um, as a retailer, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I, I face the most is the people who have... Because regardless of where they got it, no prior yeah. legalization or even after legalization, they're, they're dealing with dosages two, three, four, five times as high as what the legal limit is. And, and so they just walk, you know, because they, they can and, still and, get it somewhere else. And if you do the math on the cost of the cannabinoids and the edible products, like it's like $300 a gram for, for yeah. you know what I mean? That's, <laughs> yeah, that, that is too. a lot. <laughs> like, I mean, I was joking with somebody the other day, like, don't bother bringing Cristal to a party. Bring legal edibles because, you know, <laughs> that you can say, like, it's worth $300 a gram. And that's a, that is a problem, right? I mean, like, especially for a public that is, um, has, you know, is relatively um, sophisticated, especially in BC, right? It, it prices a lot of people out of the market that's the thing and you know when we fail to you know give regulated access in communities or we you know we're not dealing with right like reasonable dosage limits you know you are unfortunately creating a scenario where you are funneling people back into unregulated sources totally. and and that's when and i really feel that that they are keeping the black market in edibles alive with that 10 milligram limit on packaging Yes, I think that um, it, the thing is, my, my other analogy is I, I can walk into a liquor store right now and buy enough alcohol to kill me and everybody I know, and they will smile and take my credit card and give me a receipt and I'll walk out the door. And, you know, nobody is going to, to stop me. Then nobody is saying I'm too stupid to know not to, you know, you know what I mean? Like that is that is something that we give credit to the public for and i mean i i realize that that comes with experience because i mean lots of people have been you know socially imbibing alcohol far longer than potentially cannabis or whatever but i mean it really is kind of gets to that point where you have to trust adult people Absolutely. to you know know their limit and play with it yeah it, it, it's <laughs> absurd i mean the 30 gram limit of you know for retail sales per visit you know it's again as you say you can buy as much alcohol as you want and <laughs> If you try to buy more than an ounce in one visit, and you can't do it. It's insane. And it's, I mean, and the silly thing is, if you live across the street from a retailer, you can go and you get your thirty. You know, go put it in your house, go back to the store, get another thirty yeah. thirty grams, go back to the. You know, I mean, you can do that as many times as you want to. Well, it's I know. Just, and and we have customers doing that. Yeah, because they they want to get their cannabis, and they'll just they see it as just kind of getting by the regulations, which are kind of silly in the first place. <laughs> Well, and I mean, the thing is, it's also bad for the environment. Like, I mean, think about what encouraging people to make multiple trips to the same you know, retail location means. Like, that's not great for, for the, 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 the planet. Yeah, um, it's, it's very true. And, and you, you mentioned one thing in the regulations, and, and that has always bothered me, too. It's certainly in the retail market, people are always asking us for prices. And, and that just seems like an absurd part of the, of the legislation that we can't even talk about prices over the phone. Well, I mean, and that's, a, I mean, and the, the rationale for that is that you can't age gate over the phone. Yeah, I know and, that's I mean, rationale. But, but what I would say is, I mean, realistically speaking, what harm is it if you, you know, honestly, if you were to tell a, a minor in accidentally the price of, you know, cannabis, what, what, like, what are we risk mitigating here? You know what I mean? Like, what is, what is really going to happen yeah. if that happened? You know, I, I mean, what, and how frequently 
is that even at issue? Like, how yeah. many how many 16-year-olds are calling the legal dispensary to check on pricing? <laughs> what, what are the repercussions for it, you know? And I have had customers vehemently angry with me and, and, and de- de- declare that, well, they're going to go to another store then if I won't give them the price. And, and they simply don't understand that it's not our choice. Well, and one positive thing is now because, you know, part of the work that we did at Acres was, you know, really pushing um, in the first wave of COVID to have online sales available yes. to the private retailer. Yes. So, mm-hmm. you know, online payments, you know, putting your menu on the, we, you know, we pushed, we, what we did at Acres was actually we, we recruited the municipalities. So we took um, a letter around to various municipal governments saying, listen, you know, these businesses in your community want to do the responsible thing when it comes to mitigating COVID exposure, et cetera. Like, you know, they can't offer these services to their customers. We would like you to support our ask to the government to allow for them to do that. And we actually were able to get, I think it was all 42 municipalities to send letters into the Solicitor General asking that these measures be implemented. Because I mean, that's the one positive thing is, you know, if you can refer to somebody to the internet now, they can look at your prices on the menu online. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take into consideration the people who don't have access to the internet. No, which is the, often the response you get, well, I don't have access to the internet, so that doesn't help me, does it? <laughs> Yeah, and that is that's a problem. It was the same reason that in the medical system, when they could only take credit cards to order the product, that was a problem for medical access. You know what I mean? Like there are there are people who don't have the privilege of uh, of credit cards on the internet. They just they just are. Have you found with the reinvigorated NDP government now with a majority and and kind of looking at things differently that there's been more? Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier that they're talking about some new initiatives. Do you think that's because they feel they're more in power to kind of lead the way? Yeah, I think that at this point, I mean, especially post, you know, with COVID and its impact on the economy, like I I suspect that, you know, elected officials are not, you know, they they would like to see, um, you know, as much economic growth as they can possibly foster. And I think that, you know, the circumstances make people like it accelerates the getting over the stigma if it really does represent significant economic activity to capture. So I think that that is a big part of this. I think that also as you know, legalization unfolds and we don't see any negative repercussions, we'll start to see, you know, champions for the uh, the industry and the sector in um, you know elected officials who are from communities that, you know, this is very important to the community and their their economic well-being. Um, you know, I think that that's going to become more and more part of the conversation as we move forward. And I think that that's a positive thing because, you know, the the realistically speaking, um, you know, this is something that is fueling British Columbia right now, whether or not it's regulated. It's true. It's true. (laughs) May as well admit it and just move on from there, right? (laughs) Precisely. I mean, and that's that's, that's it, right? Like we have to recognize, we have to say, okay, this is the reality and this is where we want to be. So how do we get from the reality that we have now to where we want to be in a way that's actually going to be effective? Yeah, exactly. Has Acres uh, looked at the issue that is all around the province with all the great market stores that are that are out there that, that are selling the edibles at, at much more than 10 milligrams and, and, and anything. Is that something that you guys have looked at? It is. It's something that we've engaged um, both with the CSU, so the Community Safety Unit is a, is the group that is responsible for the uh, enforcement of the BC Cannabis Regulations. And then we've also engaged with um, the Attorney General and a couple of other people to have a conversation. But our focus has really honestly been more on um, a thr- like a thrust towards public education. I, I mean, the edibles situation aside, 
I think that there is a lot of confusion on the part of the public about what legalization of legalization of cannabis, like what that means to them and how it, there's just not a, there was not a lot of communication um, of anybody through this whole process, unfortunately. And so what we said to the province was, you know, you need to tell people why accessing cannabis through the regulated system is a social good. You need, like, you need to explain that to folks because there is a long history of unregulated access in BC. And right now we're not doing as much as potentially we could do to drive changes in that consumer behavior. Um, and so the only positive way that I can think of is to, you know, educate the public because enforcement is unfortunately, it's a, it's a, it's a hydra, right? Like if enforcement was effective on, you know, the real, real talk, we wouldn't be having this conversation because cannabis wouldn't be legal because enforcement would work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, they're not going to enforce them out of business. It's not going to happen. It's not. We need to, like I said, we need to drive changes of consumer behavior. And the other thing is that we really need to find a way to transition the production in this province into a regulated framework because retail is a, is just, you know, it is the face of uh, a larger market. And I mean, and the thing is, when we play whack-a-mole with these unregulated storefronts, I mean, we, you could shut them all down and then they just end up on the Internet. Yeah, right? And then as they have done. As they've done. And I mean, and the, fortunately, the unregulated market is, um, or for, I guess, fortunately for them, I mean, they don't have the same strictures. You know, they don't have no. to follow any of the rules exactly. or what have you. So <laughs> they're a lot faster um, <laughs> when faster. it comes to adapting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're a lot faster when it comes to adapting to, you know, enforcement type actions. And the other thing is, the tools that they have, you have available to you, you know, I mean, like if you're, you know, fining people or whatever, I mean, that might be the cost of doing business for those operations. Yeah, for many it is. They just accept it, pay the price and, and move on because the rest of it makes sense to them. Yeah. Precisely. And then, so I think that, you know, I think that in the, in the, like the tidal wave of legalization is an inevitability. Like legalization is the future. It's not mm-hmm. going to go anywhere. It's here. It's not, it's not going to go away. Yeah, exactly. It's just a matter how long do we continue in this, you know, in this transition. You know, I would like to see it be a faster, less painful transition as opposed to something mm-hmm. that is protracted and drawn out and, uh, you know, not a benefit to anybody in the problem. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> but that, I mean, that, that makes sense, Jacqueline, to have some benefit for, for maybe lots of people instead of no benefit for any. <laughs> Well, and that's the point. I mean, that was that's the beautiful thing about legalization is that it you know has the potential to really you know in, invigorate the economy in a way that is um, really sustainable. Cannabis is not only you know it's not only a, a fun lady to to hang out with when you're chilling out or you know to help you when you're sick, but it's also a carbon sink. You know what I mean? Like when you're growing these plants, it's like it's carbon sequestering. Um, and then, I mean, the you know the biomedical potential of the plant is incredible, astronomical. The the possibilities there. Yeah, yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating. Well, well, that actually kind of nicely leads me into the transition, Jacqueline, to ask you my hot seat questions. Since since you just kind of talked about, you know, the wonders of this wonderful plant and, and how we enjoy it, uh, I'm assuming, and uh, let me ask the question, you are a consumer of cannabis? I am an inveterate snob when it comes to cannabis. So, <laughs> I, I'm repentant. I lo- I lo- she's a beautiful lady and I love her. Good, good, good. I, I suspect <laughs> it as such, but I always like to make sure. So, what would be your favorite cultivar? 
Um, well, that's a tough one. In our house, Congo gets a lot of radio play. Okay. Um, but if I had to pick like the strain that sings to me and, and, and brings me where I need to be from a, from a, a sleepy time perspective, because that's actually my favorite application of cannabis, is a, a strain called Lindsay OG. Lindsay OG. Yeah, from Lindsay, Ontario. It is a heavy, heavy hitting indica. It smells like diesel and uh, coffee oh, and chocolate. Nice. It's a beauty. Sounds nice. Okay. Uh, do you prefer uh, joints or vape? Oh, I'm a joint girl. Okay. All the way. Yeah. All the way. And and uh, when you're high, do you have a favorite munchie? Um, you know what? I enjoy a honey roasted peanut. Okay. Those are always tasty. I've also been known to raid the uh, the dark chocolate pile. So. <laughs> as many have before you, and and many behind you as well. Uh, do you prefer edibles or flour? I'm not going to. I, no, I can't, don't make me pick a favorite child. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think good response. <laughs> recreational use, like for the fun and good times. Uh, I'm a flower. Like I'm, a, I would smoke, uh, but for um, you know, for snoozy times, edibles all the way. Okay, good. See, that, that's the first time I've had that response. So, <laughs> so I appreciate your candor on that. And and do you have a particular name for a running joint? I do not, actually. Okay. It's, there, there's been a few that have, have come up over the, the course of the podcast. Uh, canoe is the most popular one. Uh, White Rabbit is out of Quebec. Uh, and then uh, one guy just said, a uh, running joint. That's what I call it. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I would say. I call it a running joint. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the other one that I find interesting, just with the differences across our country, and I think I know the answer to this one. So are you a BC girl? I am, yeah. Okay. So I think I probably know what you call uh, 3.5 grams. Eight. Yeah, see, exactly. So that's what it is in BC. Uh, as soon as you hit Ontario, it becomes half a quarter. Um, when you hit Quebec, it's three and a half. Um, and then, mm-hmm. then there's, there's another term that I can't remember right now out of, out of Newfoundland. So, and I find it fascinating just across the country, the same thing can be referenced in so many different ways. I love the fact that the French refuse to go imperial. Like, they're like, no, 3.5. Like, go all metric all the time. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, that's a good point. I appreciate that. Well, I thank you so much for your time, Jacqueline, and and telling us all about what Acres is up to in in your role as the executive director. If you had an opportunity to tell the world what you think the future of legal cannabis should be, what, what do you think you'd say? Um, I think the the byword here is local. I think that that is the thing that, you know, really makes it made BC special in the unregulated market and can make us shine in the regulated market. You know, this is uh, it's a product that has a shelf life and local and small scale and sustainable. I think that that, that's the future of the industry. Excellent. We will leave it there. Thank you very much, Jacqueline. I hope you enjoy the rest of your night. Have a great day. And I wanted to make sure that I commented on the fact that I got some answers to my question from last week. You may have remembered that I asked if anybody knew of any place where we could get a lab test done on THC and terpenes and such that wasn't ridiculously expensive. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to spend the world to do it. And I was really happy. In fact, I had two listeners who sent me the specific details. It's canvaslabs.ca. And I put the link at CannabisPodcast.com. So thanks to Rocky and Brian for that. Really appreciate that, guys. And also a few other shout outs to Becky, our tweed rep. She's become a listener of the podcast of late. And a couple of new listeners as well, Randy and Jean-Sebastian. 
Thanks for coming along for the ride, guys. Always a pleasure to have you along. And now let's get to the final story of this week, and that is one that I still have a little trouble believing. The lack of legal cannabis in BC's access deserts is helping the illicit market thrive, say retailers. Now, this is a story from CBC, by the way. Across a large swath of BC South Coast, there lies an area cannabis industry insiders have dubbed an access desert. It's a group of municipalities that, two years after legalization, still doesn't have legal cannabis retailers within its boundaries. I had no idea this existed. I guess I spend too much time in the Okanagan. I don't drive around the rest of the province. Twelve municipalities, Whistler, West Vancouver, Richmond, Delta, Burnaby, Coquitlam, Pitt Meadows, Surrey, the Township of Langley, the City of Langley, Abbotsford, and Hope, still don't offer local access to legal cannabis, according to the provincial government. Many in the industry say it's a problem that helps the illicit market thrive. Well, of course it would. If you can't access it in a legal store, you're going to call up your old dealer that you've been dealing with for years and say, hey, guess what I need? In B.C., municipalities have the power to refuse to sell cannabis within their borders. The so-called access desert is frustrating to many in the industry, like the team at Burb, the cannabis brand with three storefronts in Coquitlam and Port Moody. From a business standpoint, economically, it's impacting us, said CFO and co-founder Stephen Dowsley, adding that his company is constantly running into closed doors with municipalities that lack the cannabis retail infrastructure. While operators in the industry can advocate to the different municipalities as often as they want, Dowsley says it comes down to each council's priorities and whether retail cannabis is even on the docket of files to tackle. But business aside, Dowsley says the whole point of legalization to ensure that a safe, tested product is available to the public and the illicit market share diminishes is being undermined by lack of access and prohibition. I think a city is doing itself a disservice, not just for the city itself, but for the constituents not having safe access to a product, he said. And Jacqueline Pajota, who you, of course, just met a few moments ago, the executive director of the Association of Canadian Cannabis Retailers, agrees that prohibitions against legal cannabis inadvertently drive consumers to the illegal market. Cannabis is being sold in these jurisdictions. That is the truth of the matter. Whether or not that access is regulated or not doesn't stop the activity from happening, she said. In 2019, almost 64% of cannabis users surveyed in B.C. said they acquired their cannabis from illegal sources, according to StatsCan. It's going quite swimmingly in the unregulated market, said Pahoda. Those living in communities without local access can order cannabis products online from the provincial stores. However, the black market also takes a large chunk of the market share. CBC News reached out to the 12 municipalities without local access. Delta, Whistler, Pitt Meadows, and Burnaby didn't respond. Coquitlam, Hope, the townships of Langley and Langley City said they were in varying stages of introducing the framework needed to permit retail cannabis. The city of Abbotsford has already approved four applications. Richmond, Surrey, and West Vancouver have prohibitions on cannabis sales. I cannot believe we are still using the word prohibition in 2020 in British Columbia, the home of a BC bud. <laughs> There's a little more to the story and you can read the rest of it for yourself. Uh, still unbelievable to me that there are 12 municipalities in the province of British Columbia that have not yet allocated retail cannabis stores. And definitely they are keeping the black market alive. Wow. <laughs> and on that note, we find ourselves at the end of episode 61 of the Cannabis Podcast. 
If there is anything you ever want to comment on, like many people have done recently, send a note to info at CannabisPodcast.com. If you ever want to check out any of the links that were talked about, you'll find those at CannabisPodcast.com. And if you would like a reminder about when every episode comes out, subscribe to the newsletter, also at CannabisPodcast.com. And that puts a wrap on episode 61 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley... This was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, Come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.